Amen and amen. Before I bring the message, a couple of things I just want to share with you. Some of you might have seen the evangelistic campaign that we have on national television, the 60-second spots. And we had tens of thousands of people responding to those. We have a wonderful group of retired pastors on the phone helping, leading people. Hundreds of people came to Christ, which is a great joy for my heart. Amen. And I've always wanted to put something in people's hands, either for themselves as new believers or for people who are seeking, inquiring, want to know more. This little booklet, it's a pocket size. It's also a stocking stuffer, (laughs) which actually has the same title as the evangelistic campaign, those spots, Finding True Peace. And this is not the kind of book you should buy one. You should buy a box of it, and you hand it over to people who are, want to know more. This is kind of, my dream for 40 years is I wanted to write a mere Christianity for dummies. <laughs> a mere Christianity is such a brilliant book by C.S. Lewis, but I want to write something a little bit simpler for the average person. And, not, and, and so this is probably the closer I'm going to get. Um, finding true peace. Get it before you leave today or order it from Leading the Way. Like all books, they belong to Leading the Way. I have no financial arrangement whatsoever with these books. The other thing, next Sunday you receive the call, a letter from our treasurer and a card. And for those of you who are new, do not sign or identify yourself on those cards. So when you bring them next week, next Sunday, There'll be, as we come to the Lord's table, there'll be baskets along and only have an amount. No identification whatsoever, just an amount, so that our financial team can make their plans for next year. And bring them prayfully and bring them thoughtfully. Our loving Father, as Nick has prayed, that it is a true privilege and honor to stand before the God of the universe. And yet He invites us to call Him Abba, Daddy. We're so privileged, we're so honored that we can do that. And Lord, in joining with Nick, I pray that there are some who have not been able to do this, will be able to do after this message to do exactly that, be able to call you Abba as they turn from their sins and give them to the very one who came to take away our sins even the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name I pray. Amen. One of the most popular Christmas songs that you hear everywhere you go. In fact, as soon as Halloween hits, sometimes even before Halloween, you start hearing this song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But if I ask 10 people out in the street, if I go out and ask, why is it the most wonderful time of the year, I'm most likely going to get 12 answers. Many so-called progressive churches say that Jesus did not come to deliver us from hell or did not come to take us to heaven. He just came to show us how to live. And I'm going to show you throughout this message how ludicrous that is. 
so much for teaching us how to live. The cacophony of voices about Jesus is so thoroughly confusing, especially among young people, and I don't blame them for being confused. During this Advent season, I'm going to be doing this series. I'm calling it, it is the most wonderful time of the year, but why? Why? It is the most wonderful ever. In fact, I'll tell you, why is the most wonderful thing that could ever happen in hum- to humanity? I'll tell you why Jesus came from heaven. I'm going to tell you why Jesus had to be sinless, contrary to 45% of the so-called evangelicals who say that Jesus sinned. Why Jesus had to go to the cross and why he had to rise again on the third day. And why it is only in obeying Jesus will you have true peace. I want you to listen carefully, please, because the most important evidence about a person is what he says about himself. You see, it doesn't matter what they say about Jesus, and it doesn't matter even what I say about Jesus. What matters is what Jesus says about himself. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus, speaking of himself as the Son of God and the Son of Man, and he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He identified himself, and he gave us the reason why he came to earth. And so much for Jesus teaching us how to live. He didn't say, I came here to teach you how to live. I came to save the lost. I want to ask you to just imagine that. For those who say that Jesus came to teach us how to live. Have you ever seen a cart and a horse behind the cart, not in front of it, but behind it, and pushing the cart up with his nose? Just think about that. That's exactly what these people are saying. They're putting the cart in front of the horse. So what is these false teachers are saying, and why are they saying this? You don't learn from Jesus how to live until you have learned to live for Jesus. For someone to say, I'm going to imitate Jesus without first accepting his invitation to repent of my sins and receive his forgiveness and his salvation, might as well say that pigs fly. Have you ever seen pigs fly? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Jesus came to save sinners. See, it's what he says about himself. Jesus came to save sinners. This is the primary reason for His coming. This is the main reason for His coming. This is the overriding reason for His coming. This is the overwhelming reason for His coming. And why He came to heaven from heaven is to save sinners. So the question, who are the sinners? Who are the sinners? Every one of us. Every human being that's ever lived. We're all sinners. But only those who admit that they're sinners (laughs) will be saved by Jesus. I am convinced of the fact that 
in the 21st century Western culture, in the 21st century Western culture, not just in America, but in Europe and Australia, and I keep up with the news globally, <laughs> the only sin, the only sin that our culture condemns is not accepting sin, not admitting that sin is sin. A sinner in the eyes of the progressives is the person who calls sin, sin. Did you get that? They are turning the Christian heritage and Western civilization on its head. There are some states, like California in the United States and the state of Victoria in Australia and others in Europe, they now are considering legislations and calling for 10-year imprisonment if anyone helps a sinner to come to Christ and repent of their sin. Now, beloved, listen to me. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And I've been saying this in books, and I've been saying that in messages, that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And sadly, and I am the, the, the most sorrowful of all is here. And listen, by saying this, I have lost friends. I've lost members from this church. They have said throughout the time, Michael is just an alarmist. Michael is just a broken record. Michael is, is too rigid in his biblical intent. Michael is, is so backward thinking. Michael is too narrow in his biblical interpretation. And let me assure you, this was not heard by me secondhand. I heard it firsthand. And I have bad news for them. I ain't going to change. <laughs> and that is why the question is not what I think, but what God says. That's the most important thing, what God said. In fact, there are so many so-called seeker-friendly churches who have outlawed from the vocabulary of their pastoral staff, literally outlawed the word sin. You're not allowed to mention the word sin. They say sin is such a negative concept. Sin is a word that is offensive to people. The word sin is stigmatizing to people. So in order to go with the flow, they instruct their pastoral staff never to use the word sin. Listen to me. Try as they may, they are, will be unable to do away with the biblical principle of antithesis. You say, what is that? That is from the very beginning, from the very beginning of time. There were two trees in the garden. One was forbidden and the other one was allowed. There were there are two eternal destinies. There are no third, heaven and hell. Jesus said there are two roads, one that is so wide that you says everybody's going to make it in the end. All religions are going to lead to the same place. It's a very wide road, and it leads to hell. 
but there is a very narrow road that's only Jesus, Jesus only, and only Jesus, and that leads to heaven. There are two ways. There are two ways. God's way, man's way. Uh, People either saved or lost. There is not in between. People either belong to God or they belong to Satan. Moses said to God's people, he said, choose this day a blessing or a curse. There is light and there is darkness. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan. There is love and there is hate disguised as love. And beloved, that is why Jesus came from heaven. That's why He came from heaven. That's why we celebrate the Advent season to prepare for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why it is not only the most wonderful time of the year, it is the greatest time of life. It is the most wonderful news could ever be announced to humanity. But there's more. There's more. The true Christian life is the most wonderful life. It's the most wonderful life that could be lived. Regardless of the pain and the suffering and the issues that we deal with in life, it can be the most wonderful time of life. Here on earth and all of eternity in heaven, Jesus said of Himself, the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save sinners. Question. Did Jesus come to show us how to live? Well, sure, but that's half-truth. It's half-truth. Do you know that half-truth is worse than falsehood? It really is much more dangerous. Much more dangerous. He shows us how to live, but only after He takes away our sin. Uh, He shows us how to live, but only after we repent of our sins and receive Him as our only Savior. He shows us how to live, but only after He presides over our lives as the Master and the Lord of our lives. Imagine with me, imagine with me, someone who's dressed in filthy clothes. I mean, really filthy. He's never had a shower. I mean, you can smell him a mile away. He never changed clothes. And then you put on him a designer suit and say, buddy, enjoy life. Are you kidding? Who who are we fooling? (laughs) It's an impossibility. The guy knows that he always stinks. He will still scratch his dirt. He always will deep down knows he's filthy. But it is totally different from lovingly and thoughtfully and kindly and gently getting him to burn the old clothes, give him a nice hot shower with soap, and then dress him in a designer clothes. And then, and only then, can he begin to live the life as a clean man, as a clean person. Jesus cannot show someone how to live who is proud of their sinful lifestyle. Jesus cannot show anyone how to live if they see no necessity for being delivered from their sin. 
Let me stretch your imagination even further, okay? This is time for imagination. Just stretch your imagination. Imagine a large group of medical experts from around the world having a global convention. I mean, these are the who's who in the medical world, and they gather at this convention, and in the, the, the convention they are discussing the changing of the name cancer. We're not going to call it cancer anymore. We're just going to call it some natural growing cells. Hello? You say, well, Michael, that is ludicrous. <laughs> but why? Why is it ludicrous? Because cancer is offensive. Cancer stigmatizes. Cancer is negative. I will never forget many years ago, a few years ago now, that when the word cancer came into our home, it was terrifying to me. I don't mind confessing that to you. It was terrifying. Why? Because the word cancer communicates a sense of urgency for the treatment. The word cancer communicates the necessity of urgent action. The term cancer says deal with it and deal with it quickly before it's too late. The same thing is about sin. The reason they want to outlaw the word and they don't want to use the word, they want to eliminate it from their vocabulary, is indeed not only scandalous, it's suicide. For it communicates the urgency to deal with sin. And thank God He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on that first Christmas so that He may bring us the only cure known to man for sin. Only cure for our miserable condition. A condition by which we all born. We all born with it. We all born with it. Question. Why Jesus came only to save the lost? Ah. Because while every human being that is born of a woman, born with sin nature. While, because while every human being that was born with the inclination to be independent of the Creator, because while every human being is born with pride and wanting our way, only those who recognize that's in nature are the ones who are lost. When Jesus said, I did not come to the healthy, physician did not come to, he came for the sick. Do you know what he did? You, you, you don't understand. This is, this is a sense of humor. This is Hebrew sense of humor. He was making fun of the Pharisees because nobody is healthy. Everyone is sick. Everyone needs the great physician. But the Pharisees didn't think he, they need him. He said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Had at it. And that's what the Bible called the original sin that we all inherited from our first parents. It is the root of sin. Listen to me. Reforming the root of sin is an impossibility. They've tried and failed through the years. Improving the root of sin is an impossibility. 
Denying the root of sin makes it worse. Containing the root of sin will make it go underground. Covering it up makes it go deeper. Why? Because sin has great power. Don't ever underestimate the power of sin. And therefore, sin needs somebody who's far, far, far more powerful than sin to break the grip of sin. The root of sin wants to rule and reign on our hearts. Sin, beloved, listen to me. Sin is not a toy. Sin is a tyrant. Sin has the strength of death, and death is strength. And the power of sin has not changed in all of the thousand years of human history. And that is why the ultimate deception of sin, listen to me very carefully, because I'm going to talk about the second thing that Christ came to do from the Word of God, and that is to destroy the work of the devil in the next message. But, but, but the greatest deception, the ultimate deception of sin is that we do not call it sin. That's the ultimate deception. Today, as I said, those who call sin, sin are the greatest sinners in the eyes of our culture. But because sin is so powerful, not only a more powerful God, and only a more powerful God can break down that power of sin. But there's something else everyone must understand, and especially the younger generation, the younger people, please understand what I'm going to tell you. It's very important. Because the Bible speaks of sin in the singular and sins in the plural. And if you're ever confusing, I'm going to clear that confusion, okay? Sin in the singular is the principle. I am the captain of my ship. I'm the master of my life. I know what's best for me. Beloved, listen to me. That is why abortion, abortion, which is murder, is bloodshed, is not called by its real name that murdering baby in their mother's womb, but it is my right to choose for myself. And I want to tell you something. As an aside, voting for somebody who's a pro-abortionist is making you an accomplice. I know that. I don't care how Christian you claim to be. God abhors bloodshed. See, they play up the root of sin. I want to be independent. I am in charge. But sins in the plural is the acting on that impulse that we have on the inside. Sin in the singular is the root of the tree. Sins in the plural is the fruit on that tree. Sin in the singular is a disposition with which we're all born. But sins in the plural is the acting on that disposition. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the most fantastic news of all. 
Jesus came from heaven to take away both the root and the fruit of sin. Jesus came from heaven to take sin in the singular and sins in the plural, all together. Take them away. Jesus came from heaven to destroy both the root and the fruit. Jesus came from heaven to set us free and give us power over sin. And that is why the most wonderful time of the year is the most wonderful time of your life and my life. The reason we rejoice at Christmas time is because the power of sin has been broken. The reason we celebrate is not so the economy can do better and we have a Black Friday and a Monday, Cyber Monday, and, and all the stuff which is fine. But no, we celebrate because Jesus came to set us free from the slavery of sin. Amen. Amen. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Listen to me. Anyone who chooses to accept his salvation will be set free. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin, but boy, you will not be able to stand it. I always love to tell this story from, it's a country boy kind of story, and I'm a country boy, immigrant country boy. And, and, and we see this very clearly in, in where I grew up. You know, you take a duck out of a mud puddle. Some people call it pond. It's a mud puddle. And you clean the duck and you wash the duck, but what happens? The duck immediately goes back to its puddle. Have you ever watched, I have, growing up, have you ever watched a dove on the side of the street, and then a car goes by and splashes some mud on, the, on that dove? I mean, with beak cleaning itself. She can't stand it. I mean, has to do everything possible to clean it. So I always ask the question, are you a duck or a dove? <laughs> when we acknowledge our sin when we confess our sin, when we repent of our sin, then and only then we receive the power of God over sin. And that is why this is the greatest news of all. It's the greatest news of all. Those who say Jesus came to show us how to live, I say Jesus was sinless. Try to show me how you're going to do that. They actually not, they miss the whole point. It's like somebody drowning in, in quicksand. And then somebody walking by and they say, hey, help me. So said, okay, do what I do. Start walking, lift up your feet, keep walking. How can I walk? I'm drowning. How can I walk? Follow Jesus. Show us how to live. It's ludicrous until you get him out of that quicksand and help him to walk. Man is in trouble. The woman is in trouble. Without the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, it is impossible to live like Christ. And that is why the same Apostle John, who said, 
that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he also said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we're a bunch of liars. Well, it's a use of translation, but really more accurate. Do you know the worst lie of all? The worst lie of all is when we lie to ourselves. I've, I've, I've actually met people who are capable of lying to themselves. It's the, most, it's the most distressing thing you can ever imagine. Ah, John goes on to say, but if we confess, if we confess. Now remember, John leaned on Jesus' shoulder. He said, Jesus came to deliver us from sin. In Him there is no sin. In Him there is no sin. Only a sinless God-man can give us power over sin. Listen to me. Those churches who baptize sin into the church and call themselves Christians, they're like the doctors who are trying to change the name cancer. Sadly, they will live a torture tormented life. They will live tortured life. They really will, deep down. They will never know true peace. Ah, but the way they try to ease their conscience is they threaten people who refuse to accept sin. That's what they do. They threaten us. Most prominent school in the world, Eton, in England, prominent school, all the royal families have gone. Eaton, the headmaster just made a statement last week about how the, 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 the changing the curriculum and become woke and all this stuff. He was fired just last week. I mean, this is what is happening, beloved, in our culture. See, the only way they try to ease their burning conscience is to call everyone who calls sin, sin, they call them all sorts of names. But listen to me. God created us. He created us never to experience true peace until we come to Him confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness that can only come from His cross. Others, in effort to calm their burning conscience. Now, they won't tell you that, but you can see it even in the way they talk. To calm their burning conscience, they will do anything to make sin acceptable. But <laughs> those who have confessed their sins, those who have accepted God's only remedy to sin, those who have accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as their only plea, they are the ones who have been eternally forgiven and at peace with God. And they, with God's power, endeavor to live like Christ every day. It's a process, like Christ every day. But they don't do it with their own strength. They do it with His strength. Try to, try to hack it by your, uh, one day, uh, one hour. <laughs> I've tried. i failed. And they will go on doing good and serving and giving and do. 
They will serve and they will give not out of duty, but out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving. But those who try to rename sin, those who explain sin away as a natural, as a choice, as the way you are and all that stuff, those who deny the power of sin, they too are going to try to do some good. But listen to the difference. Their good is like having a tiny sprinkler sprinkling drops of water in a bushfire, forest fire, sprinkler. They do it for publicity. They do it advance their celebrity status. They will do it to get praise of the world, which actually reminds me of a story, a true story about a drunk man. That's, that's, that's how every time I think of those folks, I think of this drunk man who was under street light at night on all fours, groping, feeling, peering into the cracks in the street. A friend of his was driving, winds the window down and sees him. He said, Sam, what are you doing? He said, well, I lost my wallet. And so the man parks his car and comes over there, and he too, on four, old uh, hands and feet, only legs, and looking, groping, look, peering into the cracks in the streets. And after a long time of looking, he turns to his friend, his drunk friend, he said, Sam, are you sure you've lost the wallet here? He said, of course not. It's half a block away. He said, well, why are you looking here? He said, because that's where the street light is. <laughs> that is a picture. That is a picture. There are people who are looking for peace in all the wrong places. There are professing Christians who are looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. But unless they acknowledge their sin, until they accept God's only cure for sin through the cross of Jesus Christ, until they confess their sins and repent of their sins, until they enthrone Jesus to be the Master and the Lord of their life, they will keep on groping and searching and looking in all the wrong places. Jesus came from heaven to deliver us from sin and the power of sin and the punishment of sin. But he himself has no sin. I told you earlier, and it's not just George Barner research, but others. They say 45% of so-called evangelicals say that Jesus sinned. I don't know even why they call themselves that, but that's just the ludicrousness in which we live today. But why? Why do… Well, number one, they're sitting under false preachers for so long. And they're hearing that junk coming out of pulpits. But you see, they want to lower the bar. They want to lower the bar. They don't want to acknowledge their own sin, so they drag Jesus into the mud. <laughs> they want to rationalize and make their sin acceptable. So they have the temerity, the tenacity to change the Word of God, 
to twist the truth of the Word of God. Now, for those of us who have experienced the peace of God and have peace with God, our greatest gift that we can give someone at this season of Advent and Christmas, their greatest gift is to tell them that Jesus will set them free from sin. They don't have to rationalize it. They don't have to explain it. They don't have to twist all the gun to pretzels. He can set them free from the power of sin. That they will not only find peace with God, but they'll have peace with themselves. Beloved, listen to me. That peace cannot be found in a church. Did you get that? It cannot be found through a pastor or a preacher. It cannot be found through a pope or a bishop. It cannot be found. Only the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for our sins can truly, truly set us free. And they will not find peace if they try to do good 24-7. Ah, But after experiencing the peace of God through His power over sin, then and only then, they will do great things for God. They will do great things in the name of God out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving for that salvation. Let me tell you this as I conclude. It's, of course, a true historic story. Hopefully, it will illustrate some of what I'm trying to communicate here. There was a man by the name of Jerome. Now, Jerome is considered to be one of the early Christian fathers. Big name. If you studied church history, you would know. Jerome actually was the first man to ever translate the New Testament from Greek to Latin, which is, of course, the the most common spoken language in the Roman Empire. Jerome purposefully chose to move, to live in Bethlehem, the town where Jesus was born. That was, it was a deliberate choice. He moved locations. Jerome tells the story. He said, one night while he's in Bethlehem, he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw Jesus, whom he loved with all his heart. And when he saw Jesus coming to visit him, Jerome went and collected all of his money and and brought it to Jesus and want to give it to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, Jerome, I don't want your money. I gave it to you. So he went around and tried to gather all of his possessions and and offer them to Jesus. And Jesus said, Jerome, I gave you all of your possessions. I don't want your possessions. Jerome recalls this moment in his dream. When he turned, looked, he said, Lord Jesus, what can I give you? What do you want from me? Jesus simply replied to him, give me all of your sins. That's what I came for. I came to take away your sins. Now, beloved, as I conclude, I want you to know that I do understand, particularly those who are watching around the world and Kingdom Set and elsewhere, I want you to know that I know that the natural mind has a very hard time 
realizing or even accepting that this God-man Jesus, sinless, perfect, take away my sin? And the reason I know this is because I was there. That's why we pray, Lord, open the blind spiritual eyes that are blind. Open them, Lord, so they can see what the natural mind cannot see, cannot understand, cannot comprehend. He wants to take away the root of sin and the fruit of sin. And the fruit of sin, I know we told you what the root of sin is. It's self-determination. I'm in control. I'm not going to surrender to anyone. But the fruit of sin, oh my goodness, there are many. Guilt, addiction, failure, sorrow, heartache, anger, bitterness, lust, jealousy and envy, and pride and fear and worry, distrust, doubt, judgmentalism, self-pity, cold love, deception. It's just a partial list. Oh, there are many other fruit. It's just a partial list. But brothers, sisters, the word that should be on our lips, particularly this time of the year, is that Jesus will take away the root and the fruit. It doesn't matter how many there are. I know it doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but come to Jesus and be surprised. Give Him all of your sins, for He came to save us from our sins and the power of sin and the punishment of sin. All I want to say is, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Precious Lord Jesus, it is impossible for the natural mind to comprehend the enormity of your love. that you long to forgive repentant sinners. And that is why, if these are my words, they will mean nothing. They will impact no one. Holy Spirit of God, take those words. Apply them to the heart. Apply them to the mind. Transform lives, even around the world, as we are right in this place. Do your work, Holy Spirit of God, and thank you in advance. For you are gracious, you are loving. And Jesus, we thank you for the enormous price you paid to give us power over sin. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.